Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Episode 68. So, some of you might remember that at the end of the last episode, I said that we were going to talk about a saint this time, and you might have one eyebrow raised because the title of this episode is Lent and Easter. Uh, basically, in the meantime, I've had a bunch of requests from people being like, can you please talk a bit about Lent and Easter? Um, and I thought that that was a great idea, seeing as we are currently in Lent and Easter is coming up. So, that's what we're going to talk about today, and we will circle back to our discussion of saints uh, soon. <laughs> so, First of all, what is Lent? Well, basically, Lent is a time of preparation before Easter. It goes for roughly 40 days, um, and it's a time of prayer and penance in the lead up to Easter. Easter, of course, being the biggest and most important feast in the Catholic calendar. You know when you're a little kid and you think that Christmas is like the pinnacle of the year and you look forward to it every year? Well, in actual fact, I mean, Christmas is very important, but Easter? Easter is the biggie in Christianity. It's the big, big feast day. In fact, Pope Leo I, who lived in the 5th century, referred to Easter as the greatest feast of the whole year. And this makes sense, right? Because as Christians, we know that the death and resurrection of Christ is like the central event, the central kind of mystery of Christianity. It's what everything kind of revolves around was the fact that Christ became man and then died on the cross and rose again in order to redeem us. So this mystery is built into the fabric of our faith. And we see this in the fact that at every mass, we make the death and resurrection of Christ truly present to us on the altar. From the very beginnings of Christianity, Sundays have been a day of celebration, a day on which we commemorate the resurrection of Christ. And Fridays have been a a day of penance and fasting in preparation for Sundays. So this is something that still continues today. Of course, today on Fridays, we don't do like a full fast, but it is meant to be a penitential day. So every Friday we should, you know, offer something up or do some sort of mortification in order to commemorate Good Friday. So this mystery is built into the rhythms of our kind of everyday faith. But as well as this, in the early Christian church over the first few hundred years, a tradition developed of commemorating the death and resurrection of Christ in a a much more significant way. So every year we would have this feast day that we call Easter and that continues to this day. So in the lead up to Easter, there was also the practice of some kind of fast. So initially it was like it sort of varied because it wasn't sort of structured yet within the Catholic church. So some people would fast for a day in the lead up to Easter Sunday. Some people would fast for a week, but over time it kind of developed until eventually it was a a 40 day period of fasting and penance. Now, the reason why it's 40 days is because that number 40 is a significant number that comes up again and again in both the Old and New Testaments that represents a period of time of preparation or of penance. So, for instance, um, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years and Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Nineveh was given 40 days to repent. And of course, we know that our Lord spent 40 days fasting in the desert before beginning his public ministry. So the Catholic Church kind of adopted those 40 days in imitation of of Christ as a period of time leading up to Easter in which we specifically focus on preparing for Easter through fasting and prayer and almsgiving. So point 540 of the Catechism says, 
By the solemn 40 days of Lent, the church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. Now, we refer to Lent as 40 days, but in actual fact, it's not 40 days. It's actually 46 days. It goes from uh, Ash Wednesday until Holy Thursday, the end of the Holy Thursday Mass. So that comes to 46 days. We say 40 days, though, because we're consciously kind of making a link between Lent and the 40 days that our Lord spent in the desert. So during that time, we unite ourselves more closely to Christ through prayer, fasting and almsgiving. So let's go through each of those, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Now, when we talk about fasting, there are actually only two days during Lent when Catholics are strictly required to fast from food. So those are Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. On those two days, any Catholic between the ages of 18 and 60 is required to fast. So that means eating one regular-sized meal and two small meals that combined don't equal the size of your regular sized meal. So two small meals and one regular meal. So it's not like we're you know living off bread and water. We definitely have enough to eat. But by allowing ourselves to feel hunger, we first of all, unite ourselves more closely to Christ's suffering on the cross. And secondly, we remind ourselves of our spiritual hunger, of the, f- the fact that we need the grace of God. So that experience of physical hunger reminds us of spiritual hunger and reminds us that God is is the only true bread that satisfies. Now, there are some people who are exempt from fasting altogether. So as I've already said, if you're under the age of 18, then you don't have to fast. And if you're 60 or over, then you also don't have to fast. As well as that, if you are unwell, so if you have any kind of illness that means that fasting is not a good idea for you, then you are exempt from fasting. And second of all, if you're caring for someone who is unwell, so if you're a nurse who's doing a shift on Ash Wednesday, then you're not required to fast. Or if you're a carer for someone with an illness or disability and that person is relying on you, then you are also not required to fast. And just generally speaking, we should use our common sense when it comes to fasting and make sure that we're not doing anything that damages our health or that is going to be bad for us. Now, if you're someone who is exempt from fasting, then you can find a different way of having that experience of mortification um, and finding something that you can kind of fast from that will also unite you more closely to Christ on the cross. So you might fast from social media or nicotine or something else that your body feels that it needs so that you can have that experience of like craving that draws your mind upward to God. Now on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, as well as on every other Friday during Lent, Catholics are also required to abstain from eating meat. And the reason why we do that is kind of similar to fasting. It's a way of having a kind of more sober, simple meal. It's a mortification that we can offer up to God. So on every other day during Lent, we obviously don't do a full fast from food, but we do try to do some sort of mortification or penance. So traditionally what people will do is they'll offer something up for the whole of Lent. They'll pick one thing and they'll say, okay, I'm not going to do this for the whole of Lent. So you might give up chocolate or you might give up social media or you might give up alcohol. And one of the reasons why we give something up during Lent is as a penance, as a way of making reparation for the times when we have hurt our Lord through sin. And we've talked about this in earlier episodes, right? That when you hurt someone, Of course, they can forgive you and they might forgive you completely, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to make reparation in some way for the ways in which you've hurt them. And the same thing goes for God. So by giving something up during Lent, part of that is us saying sorry to God and making up to him for the times when we have hurt him. 
But as well as that, giving something up during Lent isn't just a way of saying sorry to God. It's also a way of saying I love you to him, of drawing closer to him and deepening our relationship with him. And that seems like such an obvious thing to point out, but it's actually really easy to forget. Like I remember when I was in high school and I used to offer up chocolate every Lent, I just wouldn't eat chocolate. And I never really understood why I was, I mean, I kind of did on an intellectual level, but it wasn't really in my mind when I wasn't eating chocolate. All I thought was like, okay, this is this thing that I'm just not going to do for 40 days. I'm not going to eat chocolate. And it was hard, but then I just did it. Um, And on a human level, it was like, yeah, cool. I achieved something. And it felt very satisfying that I've been able to do that. But it kind of just remained on that human level of like a, a human achievement. Or there were other times when I would treat Lent as an opportunity to kind of break a bad habit. But again, not really for spiritual reasons. I'd be like, oh, good, I've been eating too much chocolate lately. I need to cut back on that. So Lent is a perfect opportunity to eat less chocolate. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with, you know, on a human level, wanting to break a bad habit or achieve something. But we have to remember that in Lent, the whole point of offering something up, it goes much, much deeper than that. Very often our bad habits and the things that we want to stop doing, they're coming from a place of deeper spiritual brokenness. So if I am spending way too much time on social media, and I decide that for Lent, I'm going to, you know, stop using Instagram for 40 days. That's fine. But the aim isn't to stop using Instagram. The aim is to grow closer to God. And very often, yes, going on Instagram all the time is interrupting my, my friendship with God and it's getting in the way. So it's good that I'm pausing that. But on a deeper level, there's something that I need to address. And this is my opportunity to address that thing on a deeper, more spiritual level. So this is my opportunity for the next 40 days to sit with God in prayer and ask him, okay, God, why do I keep turning to social media? What's going on there? Why don't I rely on you? Why every time I get a little bit bored, I reach out and pick up my phone? Why is it that I can't persist in doing my work well? So we're not giving things up during Lent for their own sake. We're giving them up so as to to find ways of drawing closer to God. It's not just a time of penance for its own sake. It's penance that brings about healing that allows us to empty ourselves of some of the things that are cluttering up our hearts and to fill those spaces with the love of God instead. And this is where that element of prayer becomes super, super important. We can be doing all of the mortification in the world throughout the whole of Lent, but if we're not filling up those spaces we've created with God, then we're not going to get very far. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you like declutter your bedroom or your house and you chuck a bunch of stuff out. And then like two weeks later, your room is just full of a bunch of new junk. (laughs) So it's the same with our souls. If there's no point in taking a bunch of stuff out, if we don't then fill those spaces with God, because if we don't fill them with God, then we're just going to fill them with other junk. So during Lent, alongside mortification, we should be making an active effort to deepen our prayer life. So maybe if we're not in the habit of doing you know, mental prayer every day, maybe now is a great time to start to put aside 10 minutes or 15 minutes where we just sit with God and get to know him better and talk to him. So one thing that I've been using this Lent that I've found super useful is a book called Restore by Sister Miriam James. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's basically like a series of prompts for prayer that you can use during Lent. And they're specifically designed to kind of help you connect on a deeper level with God. 
Another thing that can be really useful for our prayer in this season is to reflect on and contemplate the passion and death of our Lord. So many people pray the Stations of the Cross every Friday during Lent. So there are many different versions of the Stations of the Cross that you can use to help you pray. I'll put um, a few links in the show notes for people who want to do that. I have also recorded a version of my, well, my favorite version of the Stations of the Cross, which is currently available on Patreon for patrons. So if you're a patron and you want to pray the Stations of the Cross, then you're welcome to listen to that if it helps. A final way that we can deepen our prayer life during Lent is through, of course, receiving the sacraments. So as well as going to Mass as often as we can, it's also a great idea during Lent to try to make a good confession in the lead up to Easter. So Catholics, we've talked about this before, but Catholics are actually required to receive communion once a year at Easter time, any time between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. All Catholics are required to receive communion once during that time. Now, of course, most Catholics will receive communion many, many more times during the year. Most people receive it every Sunday when they go to Mass. However, you're only actually strictly required to receive communion once during Easter time. So Catholics have to go to Mass every Sunday, but they don't have to receive communion every time they go to Mass. You only have to receive once during the year. Now, because Catholics are required to receive communion once at Easter time, a practice kind of sprung up over time very organically and for obvious reasons in which Catholics would try to make a really good confession during Lent in the lead up to Easter so that you're really well prepared. You're definitely in the state of grace and you're well prepared to receive our Lord in the Eucharist. So even if you're someone who goes to confession regularly, Lent is still a really great time to kind of take advantage and really sit down and do a deeper examination of conscience and try to do a really good confession. So we've so far we've talked about fasting, we've talked about prayer, and then the third thing we haven't talked about yet is almsgiving. So what is almsgiving? Basically, it refers to giving money or things or time to people in need. Now, why is almsgiving an important thing during Lent? Well, We've talked a lot recently about unity, right, within the church. We've talked about the communion of saints. Almsgiving, as well as being a kind of mortification, as well as being a way of expressing our love to God and drawing closer to him, it's also a way of drawing closer to the people around us to fulfill our Christian obligation to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and those in prison. So the specific way in which we give alms will vary depending on our own circumstances and the needs around us, as well as what we are able to give. So for some people, it's financial. For other people, it's about spending time with others. So going to visit, you know, someone who is older who or someone who's isolated or sick who lives in your area or doing some volunteer work or going through your stuff and, and giving away some things to people who need it more. And the important thing with almsgiving is, and this is something we hear a lot, right, that we don't just give out of our extra stuff. We don't just give away the stuff that we don't want anymore. In the same way that fasting causes a kind of pang of hunger in us, our almsgiving should also cause that kind of pang of like, oof, (laughs) that hurt. I gave away something that was hard to give away. Father Mike Schmitz puts it really well. He talks about not giving out of your surplus, but out of your substance. We should feel like we're really giving ourselves to other people when we give alms. So maybe that means making time for other people. You know, I've got a really, really busy day, but I I put aside the time to catch up with a friend. Or maybe it means smiling to the people around us when we're in a really bad mood and we're having a terrible day, trying to be cheerful for their sake. We're not just kind of chucking away our extra stuff that we don't need. We're actually really, truly giving ourselves to others and through that self-giving, giving ourselves to God. 
Now, before we move on from Lent to talk about the Easter Triduum, there's one other question that is worth kind of responding to. So there's a bit of um, disagreement between people about whether or not Sundays and feast days in Lent count as Lent. (laughs) So basically we've got the 40 days of Lent, but we know that every single Sunday is always a big feast day in the Catholic church. As well as that, there are some other important feast days that occur during that time of Lent. Now, usually in Catholicism, feast days are a day of feasting and celebration. So what do we do when it's a feast day, but it's also Lent? So there are different opinions on this. Some people will say like, well, No, you should do your Lenten observances for the whole of Lent, even on Sundays or on feast days. And other people are like, yeah, like if it's a feast day, then it's okay to take a break from your Lenten observances and feast. And if you were to take every single Sunday off during Lent, it would still be 40 days. So you're not, you know, you're still doing this time of penance. Really what it comes down to is your personal freedom and your personal circumstances. The church doesn't have like an official stand on it. So the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops actually released a statement about this, and they basically said, look, yes, ideally, if you're in a period of penance and purification, it's going to be more effective if you do those penances consistently. But at the same time, like you're free. I mean, these penances were self-imposed. You made the decision to give something up. So, of course, like you have every right to say, "Okay, today it's a special day and maybe it is more appropriate. And we have to remember Again, the the main goal isn't giving stuff up for its own sake. The main goal is growing closer to God, deepening our relationship with him and progressing on the path to holiness. So I might be someone who is living my Lenten observances perfectly. I'm doing such a good job. I do them even on Sundays, but maybe it's purely superficial. And on a deeper level, I'm not actually praying or getting closer to God. On the other hand, I might be someone who isn't, you know, who's eating chocolate on Sundays, but I'm really, really going deep in my prayer. Um, So that's the main thing is that interior disposition, making sure that I'm as united to God as possible through those Lenten observances. So Lent officially ends, as we've said, on Holy Thursday with the Mass of the Last Supper. And at that point, we begin the Easter Triduum, the three days in the lead up to Easter. And oh my gosh, guys, these are literally my three favorite days in the whole entire year. There is something about those three days where we journey with our Lord, like in real time towards Easter that are just so powerful and so moving. So we begin with the Mass of the Last Supper. We commemorate the institution of the Eucharist. Now, at the end of that Mass, the consecrated hosts are taken in procession to a place that we call the Altar of Repose. So this is a separate space in the church. It's often a temporary altar that is set up for the purpose that the Eucharist is moved to. And members of the congregation are invited to remain in adoration in front of the Eucharist in that space for some time. Some churches actually do a full all night vigil. So you can pick, you know, an hour and go and do an hour of adoration if you want to. So this period of time spent in the altar of repose symbolizes our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is why many churches do an all night vigil, because We're responding to that request from our Lord to his apostles that they stay awake for just one hour to pray with him. So we spend this time accompanying our Lord through our prayer and our presence in the Garden of Gethsemane. The next day is, of course, Good Friday. And at 3 p.m. on Good Friday, we celebrate the liturgy of Good Friday. Now, I say liturgy and not mass because it is actually not a mass. This is the one day of the church calendar in which mass is not celebrated, i.e. the Eucharist is not consecrated. So on Good Friday, we receive the hosts that were consecrated the day before 
in the Holy Thursday Mass and that have been on the altar of repose. So the liturgy of Good Friday looks a bit different to an everyday Mass. Basically what happens is that the priest enters and prostrates himself on the ground in prayer as a sign of the grief and sorrow of the church. And then we have readings and prayers of intercession. And then we have something that we call the veneration of the cross. So the priest will move to the back of the church and take a cross and process it down the aisle to the front of the church. And then the members of the congregation are invited to come forward and venerate the cross. So you can genuflect in front of it or you can bow as a way of offering reverence. After that, we receive communion and then the liturgy ends. The cross that was just venerated during the liturgy remains at the altar. And this is actually the one time during the year when Catholics genuflect to the cross. So usually we only ever genuflect to our Lord in the Eucharist. We go down on one knee in an act of worship because we believe that our Lord is truly present in the Eucharist. However, on Good Friday, the Eucharist is no longer present in the church because all of those consecrated hosts from Holy Thursday have been consumed. And in an act of veneration, we actually genuflect to the cross. So if it's ever, if it's Good Friday and you ever notice people who are still genuflecting, even though our Lord isn't there in the tabernacle, that's why. Now, speaking of our Lord not being present in the tabernacle, it's actually pretty amazing. On Good Friday, again, this is the only time this happens during the year, where not only is our Lord not actually present in the same way in the church anymore, and we have this very real feeling of like being bereft, like he's not there, but also just visually, like the altar has been stripped for the Good Friday liturgy. There's no altar cloth. There are no candles on the altar. All of the like statues of saints and Our Lady and the cross have all been covered up. So there's this incredibly kind of somber mood and tone of grief that is actually visually represented in the church. It's pretty amazing. So after Good Friday, we have Holy Saturday. And the word that I would use to describe Holy Saturday is quiet. It is such a quiet day because it's the day when we commemorate our Lord buried in the tomb, right? After all of the kind of pain and grief and drama of Good Friday, we have this day of silence and quiet and reflection. So there's no Holy Saturday mass because our Lord is in the tomb. Everything is covered up. The tabernacle is empty and it's a day for quiet prayer and reflection. And then Holy Saturday ends with the Vigil Mass, which occurs on Saturday evening. Now, if you have never been to an Easter Vigil Mass before, I encourage you to go. And like, okay, you're going to have to have a little bit of stamina because it is the longest liturgy, like in the whole of the church of everything. It's like the longest Mass ever, but it is amazing. It is so worth going to an Easter Vigil Mass. So basically the Easter Vigil begins with a fire being lit, like all of the lights are turned out in the church and then a fire is lit outside and the priest lights the Easter candle from that fire and then spreads the flame to other candles until everyone in the congregation is holding a candle. And this like symbolizes the light of Christ coming into the world with his resurrection. It's it's like gives me goosebumps talking about it. It's actually like really beautiful seeing this like this light of this fire kind of slowly flooding into the church and lighting up the church. And then, of course, the lights come back on and we begin to celebrate the mass. Now, in this mass, there are... <laughs> 
up to nine readings. <laughs> there are so many readings because each of the readings trace a different point in salvation history. So we begin with Genesis and we go all the way through salvation history. And then we end with the gospel, which is the gospel reading of our Lord's resurrection. It's so beautiful because you get this kind of panoramic view of the whole of salvation history. And then after that, we have the baptism of people who have been going through the RCIA. So all the catechumens who have been preparing all through Lent to be received into the church are baptized and confirmed. And then after the baptism of the catechumens, the mass kind of continues like a a normal Sunday mass. So it's an amazing mass and very beautiful and celebratory and joyful. And one of the other benefits of going to the Easter Vigil Mass is that you get to start celebrating early. So once the Mass has been celebrated, then Easter has begun. You can go and have some Easter eggs and some hot cross buns. And then, of course, we have Easter Sunday itself, the greatest day of celebration in the church year. Now, the only stipulation of the church on Easter Sunday is that we go to Mass, which we do every Sunday. But apart from that, we can celebrate in whatever way we like. Usually it involves family and food and fun, (laughs) all the Fs. But in amongst all of that, we also try to remember to express our gratitude and our love to our Lord for everything that he's done for us. It's really easy during Lent to just focus on God because it's a penitential time. But then when it comes to Easter Sunday and the whole Easter period, it's easier to kind of get caught up in all of the fun and all the good times and to forget like the whole reason why we're celebrating Easter. So it's a great idea on Easter Sunday to try to find a way to spend some time with God. Maybe it means getting up a little bit earlier before all of the like fun times begin and doing some prayer. Or like finding some time to pray the glorious mysteries of the rosary with your family. Whatever it is, finding some time to spend with our Lord in amongst all of the fun. Now, just like with Christmas, Easter doesn't just go for one day. It goes for an entire season. In fact, the Easter season goes from Easter Sunday until Pentecost Sunday, which is 50 days. And I love that. It's like the goodness of God. He's like, yes, you are going to do 40 days of penance. And then you're going to do 50 days of feasting. You're welcome. I literally just kicked a chair in my enthusiasm. (laughs) Okay, so that is Lent and Easter. Oh, honestly, guys. Easter is my favorite time of the whole year. I literally can't even articulate how much I love it. Anyway, uh, in our next episode, we are going to continue this kind of Lenten theme and we're going to do an episode on how to make a good confession. So not just like the kind of theology behind confession, which we did in the earlier episode from the catechism. We're going to think about the actual practical steps, first of all, of like what happens in confession. And then we're going to think about how to do an examination of conscience and how to prepare to do a really good confession in the lead up to Easter. Great. Can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight and I'll talk to you soon. Stood the mournful mother weeping Close to Jesus to the last Through her heart his sorrow sharing All his bitter anguish bearing Now at length the sword has passed Virgin of all virgins best listen to my fond request let me share